Yeah, I mean, I think political hobbying is really appealing to a particular demographic, especially like an educated demographic and a white demographic, because you feel like by tracking the issues, you are making change. And the yeah. reality is that the skills that it takes to pay attention to what's going on at the national level versus the skills that it takes to engage in politics in your community and make change are totally different skill sets. And people aren't nourishing the skill sets that allow them to figure out like what's going on in their community and, and how to make change. Yeah. That's why I started Wedge Live. I mean, every, everyone in the world has an opinion about Ted Cruz, but uh, how many people have an opinion about Michael Rainville, for example? Like that makes me special. I have an opinion about Michael Rainville. Or Carol Becker. You, and Carol Becker. I can tell you all about that. <laughs> That's my superpower. Go find something that nobody knows anything about and uh, know a lot about it. Get involved in local politics. You can uh, have some power to make change. We're rolling. We're rolling. This is a real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now. I can't talk about it. It's all it's all uh off the record stuff for now. Oh, it's all off the record. You don't have anything yeah. you can say that's on the record? Um, I will say that um, there, there were moments of last night's meeting that felt very contentious um, around the Hennepin Avenue reconstruction plan. Okay. And... Um, I feel like fortunately cooler heads prevailed and um, we're looking for positive ways to move forward. That's very diplomatic. Yeah. Are you turning into a statesman? No. Statesperson? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I would vote for Jason. Would you not vote for oh, Jason? No, don't for, vote for Jason. For, for neighborhood for board? For neighborhood board, yeah, there's a dearth. There's a dearth of people looking to be on a neighborhood board. So of course, I would vote for Jason. <laughs> yeah, it's, we, it's we wanted Jason, to draft John, but it's it's either Jason or the lady who owns the the cat cafe. That's those well, are the candidates. Case, I'm I'm voting for Jason. Yeah, in this case, we got both. And since I'm not on the uh, Lowry Hill East Neighborhood Association, I can say. The cat lady is the chief opponent of the uh, recommended design for Hennepin Avenue, which is a good design. It's a, I, it's got, a good uh, design. I love it. A plus. Twenty four seven bus lanes. It's got a it's got a sidewalk level bike path. It's got a just so many pedestrian improvements. I'm very impressed. It's got some mid block crossings. They've removed and reduced the uh, like the width of curb cuts. There's a bunch of medians that prevent left turns at a lot of places. Those are so good. Yes. Underrated. And, and yeah. uh, left turn lanes for cars. 
dedicated left yeah. turn lanes to make driving safer. It's a great plan. I like it. Yeah. Why would that I've be had... controversial, Jason? Why would that be controversial? Um, I'm told that many people in the local business community um, feel that their businesses will suffer from losing street parking on Hennepin Avenue. Um, so I think, you know, they, they also have expressed the opinion that they don't, they didn't feel heard by the city, um, during the process of getting community feedback. Um, and they requested a, an option C or option three, I guess I can't remember if they were numbered or lettered. They were numbered. uh, Okay. So an option three and, since they did not get that, um, that they felt like the city had ignored them. Right. If you don't Um, get your way, the city ignored you. That's the usual line. Instead of the city just did the wrong thing from your perspective. Like they were heard. They just, uh, it went against them. That's how it worked out. I mean, I, all I'm, all I can do is address the feelings that were raised to me. Um, I appreciate that. And certainly I can, appreciate the feeling of not feeling like you're being paid attention to and not being listened to. Can I, um, can I play royalty free Christmas music while we're talking about this? This is supposed to be the holiday episode of the wedge live podcast. Okay. You said year oh. end. You didn't say holidays. Oh, that's very loud. Oh, is it too loud? It's okay. quite loud. Okay. <laughs> Do you have like a music box there that is playing that? Oh uh, yeah. It sounds I'm, like a very tinny. If you're, jewelry box that you just opened yeah if you're not watching on youtube i'm holding up my music box up to my microphone right now sure you are uh-huh yeah that's where you store your fancy earrings and things isn't it yeah so this i'm just gonna entry we're gonna move away from the neighborhood association talk though i enjoy that uh, one of the big new things for jason this year is uh joining the neighborhood board moving to the wedge yep. and joining the neighborhood board there's so it's many true. big things for you in 21. Yeah. I mean, 2021 has brought a a litany of new developments into not only my life, but but the lives of many people in Minneapolis. And my favorite co-host of 21 is Alyssa, Alyssa Shuffman. Oh boy, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You're you're my top 2. I brought in my top 2 for the the holiday spectacular. Oh man! And, uh, sorry, Peggy Jason. Sue, you, Peggy Sue is gonna like punch me next time I see her. Peggy Sue is too busy for me. She's too busy, <laughs> too cool, and too busy for all of us. People, I, oh, I hope I, people I think, think I we see have what happened here. Yeah, you, you, you I, asked Peggy Sue, and and you got well, rejected. So now I'm here. It's extremely difficult to book her for anything. She has a life and a husband. And might be serving on the planning commission moving forward, which is a lot of time. So I have to rely on people who just have a whole lot of time to spend time with me here. Literally no one who knows me would describe me as that, but thank you. (laughs) Oh, really? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's my low self-esteem. I just assume (laughs) the only people who say yes to me just don't have anything else going on. But I appreciate that, Alyssa. You're spending valuable time with me. Uh, Jason's time is also valuable. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I should respect people's time. I don't because we often go, we go too long. But uh, Alyssa, tell tell us something big 
big and exciting that changed for you in 21? Mm. Uh, so 21 was the actually the first year I was involved in local politics. Really the first? Really the first. Um, I think part of I, a number of years ago, I wrote a bunch of five-year goals, and one of them was get involved in a political campaign. I'm not like a super extroverted person. I'm very much an introvert and um, had an opportunity to serve as a campaign treasurer this year, which was really great. Um, but it was like really the first year that I felt like local politics was accessible to me because the amount of effort it takes to get enough information to get involved. And then you reach a threshold and you're like, wow, this is information overload. Everyone wants my attention about everything now. Um, so it was a bit, that was a really big shift for me. Yeah. How, in what way did you get involved in local politics? Well, I, so I volunteered as a campaign treasurer, which was is a lot of Excel spreadsheets and uh, was very much my jam. Um, and then really started donating to local politics for the first time. I don't think I donated to a political candidate before this year. How long have you served on the uh, bicycle advisory? Uh, now I'm in year five of that. that that's local. Pod. That feels very political <laughs> to me. You're I, no newcomer. That's local government for sure, but I don't think that's local politics, right? You don't have any um, hard power, right? People like to talk about hard power and soft power, and the Bicycle Advisory Committee is very much a network of relationships and soft power, and also is a board that's operated by the city. You can't have opinions about political candidates. You can't like endorse people or bring candidates into that space. That's very much a separate... There's There's a very clear line. You're like like many people, supposed to abide by the city's ethics and uh, conflict of interest policies. Um, it's optional. <laughs> so. I do not consider it optional. Um, so that's, that feels like a very you know local government space, but very different than local politics. I can't separate politics from any, everything's political for me, especially government. So Many people would be very happy to hear you say that. I agree with that. You were you were doing Jason also agrees with that. You were doing politics nah. the whole time, Melissa. You were. <laughs> you, <laughs> all that time you spent in government, you were doing politics. Uh so okay. I think I introduced the show and I introduced you both. Melissa Shuffman, Jason Garcia. Uh, we're here for the end of your spectacular on the Wedge Live podcast. And uh I think I think we gotta start with news. We started the show really badly i think a lot of people have stopped listening because we we started with the neighborhood association stuff and then we started talking about the bicycle advisory commission now we're going to talk about exciting stuff <laughs> and that is uh we lost our chief i think that's that's the that's a you know a lot of people voted for him he was the centerpiece of a crime themed election and a lot, a lot of people predicted he would retire and said, watch out, don't, don't cast your ballot based on who the chief is going to be, no matter how many ads you get from the mayor's rich friends telling you it's all about Rondo, no matter, no matter how many press conferences the chief holds to tell you how to vote, he's not going to be here next year. He's going to retire because his contract is up and he did retire. Do we, do we have thoughts yeah. about that? Well, I, I believe he's just announced his retirement. He he hasn't retired as yet. Right, mid January. He's and we right. already have an interim chief, uh, you know, who's coming in. Right. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, a lot of us had said that Rondo was not, he had been very cagey about his future with MPD um, and the city of Minneapolis government. Um, people pointed out that he was very close to being able to retire with a fully vested pension. So I think, you know, all of the, all of the breadcrumbs led down a very specific path. Um, but I've noticed that the people who made the election so much about him have been very quiet about what this means. Yeah. Well, they got what they wanted and now it doesn't matter. I think a lot of them knew. And I think I would hope so. I don't know. I don't know if anyone feels duped because they were using Rondo as like the a mascot of as a shield, I think. Alyssa. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. And also I just wanna explicitly name that there is very much a racialized element, right, to the ways in which Rondo as a chief was held up in particular ways and to support particular narratives. Um, and it and it sucks and is not terribly surprising. Yeah. In his uh in his going away speech, his his retirement announcement, he was asked about the factors leading to his retirement. Thank you for the question. The question was, what were some of the deciding factors um, in my decision? Um, I think as, as chief, um, you look at the organization. Uh, you are always trying to make sure that you're doing your best on behalf of the organization, cultivating uh, leadership, um, stabilizing the organization, um, also hearing what community, what the direction the community's in. And so those were those were some of the factors in it as well. I like I don't know. I don't feel like MPD is a a stable organization or a well-led organization or that <laughs> his decision to retire is in line with what the community wanted. Like everything he said there was just not true about uh, the the state of the world. It was a weird speech. Well, well, John, I will push back on one point. Okay. That being that, um, you know, the direction that the community wants to go in, given that the interim chief uh, is a wealthy white woman who lives near the lakes, uh, I think the election could very easily have said that that, those were, that was the voice that people wanted to have uh, listened to. Okay. I can see that. And I, I, that's the most interesting part to me is to see whether the city will do the easy thing of just promoting from within and maintaining the same culture that they have said is going to eat the policy for breakfast. Um, or if they're going to actually do a nationwide search and try to bring someone in from the outside. Well, they, they have been looking. Like, I didn't have enough information to say this before the chief retired, but I had heard, like, they had already contacted another local chief to ask if they wanted to do the job. So they were they were already searching before this. And I, I don't think it's a matter of whether they want to hire from within or do the nationwide search. I just don't think there's anyone who wants to come in and do this job. 
So we might be stuck. And an interesting thing about uh, Huffman, who's coming in as the interim, is we we heard a lot about Rondo's lawsuit against the city from when was it like ten years ago, Jason? Do you know? Oh, it was longer than that, wasn't it? Fifteen years ago. Yeah, something like that. And so he had he had sued the city MPD for racism, racial bias, Rondo, and I think a handful of other black officers. And Huffman was like a figure in that lawsuit. One of the other officers involved in the law, one of the black officers had said she had treated him, you know, basically discriminated against him, treated him differently than white officers. And so after hearing for forever about Rondo's lawsuit, painting him as like somebody fighting for racial equality within MPD, now we have we have an interim chief. The follow-on to Rondo is somebody who was named in that lawsuit that we heard so much about. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you know, one of the other things that came out when they announced who the interim was um, was the um, the woman who had been fired for publicly saying that there was a toxic culture at MPD, uh, the former officer who no longer lives in Minnesota, uh, was on Twitter saying that basically Amelia Huffman was the the main cause of the toxic environment that she was experiencing. Yeah, Huffman's been with MPD for 27 years, and you know you can either say that's that's a boatload of experience I'm bringing to the job or... You know, I've spent 27 years in this very dysfunctional organization. And can I really be expected to clean it up? Alyssa, are you hopeful about the future of MPD? I mean, I've been an abolitionist for five or six years, somewhere around there. Um, And I think the institution of policing by and large is doing exactly what it was designed to do. Explain to us how you became an abolitionist and what that means to you. If you, if you can do that. (laughs) I made a lot of (laughs) podcast notes and did not make notes about this. Um, Yeah. So how did I become an abolitionist? Um, You know, it was, it was not a thing that I, had any framework for growing up as a white person, as a white person coming from a family that had a fair amount of financial privilege. Um, And so in my 20s, was really doing a lot of learning and working within, I had a job for a while where I was working within a community that was uh, minority white, which I think is pretty unusual in Minnesota and doing a lot of proactive learning in those spaces and was invited to a number of conversations with folks who had already done a lot of abolitionist thinking. Um, And I think the pivot point for me personally was a series of, it was uh, like a dinner series where we did a lot of personal reflection sort of between the dinner series that happened over the course of six weeks uh, that really invited all of us to do real learning about like policing as a system, where it came from, what it is, what it has been designed to do, 
um, and what it does and to think about the ways in which that system intersects with my life and the privileges that I have um, and examine that more closely and came out of that series of dinners and was like, yeah, I, <laughs> this all makes sense to me, right? Like there are a lot of things I just didn't know previously because the education system is designed to not give me that information. The spaces that I grew up in were not designed explicitly to not give me that information. Um, and I am very much into self-reflection as a practice. Um, and so came out of that and started to identify as an abolitionist. And that was happening around the same time leading up to and into the moments that uh, Philando Castile was murdered. And so there was just like a lot happening in public space in Minneapolis in that wave that we, that we see over and over again in Minneapolis, right? Like it is, it is not a matter of if it's a matter of when MPD will murder uh, someone else, another black person. And so, um, yeah, I want to stop here because I feel like I'm going to go into a rambly space, but that is kind of the beginning of my journey into abolition. And I think the idea of a future without police and policing um, is can be pretty hard to imagine. And also a lot of the folks that I talked to in the years between when I became an abolitionist and 2020 had a lot of really deep personal reflection um, about the idea of abolition and what we can all do for each other if we think about community as having resources and our resources as things we can center on healing as opposed to things we can center on punishment. And so I don't, we talked about uh, police a lot this year. So this feels like rehashing the conversation we had for the entire year. So. I'm just going to ask it anyway. What what do you tell people who are scared of the, they hear you're an abolitionist. You want the police to go away. There's carjackings all over the place. Uh, what do you tell the pe people about being an abolitionist uh, when they respond uh, with the idea that that's just not realistic right now? What do you tell them? Yeah, I think there's two things. The first is that police in their current form have not stopped carjacking, right? If police were going to solve crime, they would have done so already, right? We have hundreds of years of investment in the institution of policing, and it has not solved crime. It isn't, and it continues to not solve crime in the present day. So that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is there is a presumption in that question that carjackings must happen and will continue to happen. And I really want to encourage people, and it, it is a long conversation, to question that presumption and to say people who commit the things we label crimes have, re have needs and they are often committing crimes to pursue access to resources because it's the easiest thing for them to do. And so I don't agree with the presumption that like we must have crime. Crime will always continue to exist. Um, and of course, the definition of what is and isn't a crime is super flawed. But when we think about how do we as a community move forward, 
part of the way that we give people opportunity to change and give our systems opportunity to change is to question that presumption of like carjackings are always going to happen. Cause I don't think that that is true. I've been thinking about the outcome of question two and if it had gone the other way and how everything that's happening and that you're seeing in the news about violent crime, which is up significantly across the country would have been blamed on question two passing, but the alternative isn't true. Like, I don't know. Rondo doesn't get blamed for for the the uptick in crime. The mayor doesn't get blamed. The police don't get blamed, even though they weren't ever defunded. If you actually look at a budget, they all just quit as a sign of you know the the dysfunction of MPD in addition to the violence and the racism. So I don't know. That's something I've been thinking about. If question two had gone the other way, what a shit show we would have experienced in the last month. And instead I like, is anyone responsible for, for addressing these problems at all? And you have one or two or a handful of uh, carjackings, any Dinah in St. Louis park and they're flipping out. I saw Uptown Steve in a meeting in Edina on KSTP. <laughs> I was like, we've exported Uptown Steve to Edina. When the DA's office doesn't do their job and lets them free, you say, why the hell aren't you doing your job? Do your job and put them in jail. There are ch- uh, forget, it, forget about exporting the carjacking. We've, up, we've exported Uptown Steve. My condolences to Edina. R.I.P. Yeah. Edina. It's like the mothership calling him home. Anyway, I, I feel I feel extremely bad because I, I'm bothered by the violent crime. I, I really am. It makes me sad. Uh, and I, I'm feeling very down. I continue to feel very down about uh, the present and the future. On our end of year holiday spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> Alyssa, you said you had a list of things, a list of notes that you brought today. I wonder what's on that list. Is it a naughty list? Is it a naughty and nice list? No. uh, (laughs) (laughs) That would have been thematically more appropriate, probably. Um, No, it's just a list of of 2021 reflections. So it would be... Let's hear one. Let's hear one. Uh, Let's go in ascending order. So your your least uh, important reflections to the most is, is it a numbered list? <laughs> it is. It is not a numbered list. It is not even a proper list. There's lots of like bubbles and arrows and oh, verses okay. and things on the on the list. So, let's hear one. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll play, I'll play. I'll play the Christmas uh, music. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you can present these in the form of a song, that would really be helping. I really need, would have needed advance notice for that. <laughs> um, no, uh, my my biggest 21, 21 reflection is Twitter is bad, actually. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I agree with that. Uh, even though my entire existence is on Twitter, it's bad. I did not think you were going to agree with me for exactly that reason. So Yeah. Well, John's very, very dispirited right now, so I'm sure yeah. that he feels negatively about his existence and therefore Twitter. I don't know if you listen to the podcast. You probably don't because it's terrible, but I, I often will end the show by talking about how much I hate myself and I hate the world, and it's all true. 
So that you're correct. Yep. Negative, negative, negative cats. That's the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we we have a good time. We hate ourselves, but we still have a good time. (laughs) Uh, That's a good. Jason, do you have any thoughts on Twitter? Is it bad? Good or bad? I mean, it's like any other tool. It can be used for terrible, terrible things. It can be used for positive things. Uh, And I think your outlook on humanity in general will probably mirror your opinion of Twitter. There's a lot of good. The sad thing is I basically met my entire social circle in Minneapolis through Twitter. So I'm not going to say it doesn't (laughs) serve. That is sad, John. It is sad. It's very sad. Yeah. (laughs) There there are good parts. Just I have, uh, yeah, I've, I've tried, I've, I've shut it down a little bit. There are times when I've just like, I've, I put it down. I put it down for long stretches because I need to recharge. We're preparing for 2022. I want to talk about the most impactful book I read this year. Go. Which is very much related to the Twitter is bad conversation. And then also want to hear later what books you all have read this year. If any, I, I, Try not to expect that people have read books. um, The one conversation I ever had with Mayor Fry, I was like, what have you read? And he was like, I read one book this year and it was this book. And I can't tell you what it was, but I looked it up and I was like, this is a trash book. I I didn't write it down because I looked it up and I was like, nope, I would never read this. Um, So I read a book towards the beginning of this year it's called how to do nothing Mm. by jenny odell i don't know if either of you have ever heard of it i see jason kind of nodding about it i haven't read it but i've heard of it for sure i'm I'm gonna struggle mightily when you ask the question about uh whether we've read a book this year i'm I'm gonna struggle on that one (laughs) (laughs) i haven't heard of that book when was the last time you touched a book john i read the expanse the expanse series of uh novels all of them the last one just came out uh, I'm going to dig into that one. So I will read that. <laughs> I've, I've gotten into podcasts a lot this year and, and last year. I, I listened to This Week in Virology. is something I got into during the pandemic mm-hmm. and uh, still listen to occasionally. I find the, uh, the like, there's they do a lot of episodes, like three a week. And one of them is like an end of the week wrap up on uh, COVID stuff which I listen to. It's a, it's a lot of people who know what they're talking about and I don't know any of it, but somehow it's calming that I, I can listen to it. And I don't listen to the entire episode because uh, they're very long. I can rec- recommend some movies. How about that? Uh, a movie, it's actually two movies, a, a movie and then a sequel. I wasn't expecting it to be good and it turned out it was actually pretty good. Have you watched the Venom movies? The superhero movies. No. Yes, I thought it, I thought it would be terrible. It looked ridiculous. It's about uh, this guy who is infected with an alien parasite, and it gives him superpowers. But it's also like a voice in his head that he argues yeah. with constantly. It's kind of like it's comedic. It's like a buddy movie, but also a superhero movie, and it's kind of ridiculous. But uh, there's two of them. There's Venom, and then I think the 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 next one is called Venom something about carnage I don't know but maximum carnage maybe 
something like that. So if you're yeah. looking for a movie that you wouldn't think would be good, but actually is pretty good, there you go. But did I interrupt the uh, the how to do nothing conversation? You did, but that's fine. You're yeah. the host. We we are just co-hosts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, it I'm wasn't so much an interruption as just trampling right over it and throwing out so a movie. Am I am I to take that title? Uh, I wanted to switch from books to movies because that's easier for me. Mm-hmm. Are we to uh, take that title literally? Is it really telling you how to do nothing? Like no, to, like disengage. And do nothing. Disengage is a very accurate word. So it's got the book has like a title, how to do nothing, and a subtitle, which is resisting the attention economy. Um, and it's by an author who is also an artist, which I think gives her a really interesting perspective. But it really dissects the role that social media and other online platforms have in capturing our attention and directing our thoughts. And I think it was a really useful book for me to read this year and then like to read going into elections and have a level of clarity around the things that happen where we feel we are making change because there are algorithms and software designed to make us feel like we are making change. And then things that are like actually making change in the world that we live in. And there's sort of, right, it looks a little bit at those, that segment of things that I think of as like armchair activism and or political hobbying, right? Mm -hmm. And encourages us to question, like, if you are just rage tweeting about things and you rage tweet and that is the end of your engagement with an issue, like, what did that actually do? Right. Um, And to think about the ways in which those systems really encourage you to do that without making meaningful change or engaging in meaningful in activity that is like moving us towards meaningful change. So it's possible I've listened to like a podcast interview with the author. I don't know, because it feels like a concept I've heard discussed because there's, you know, people get uh, infatuated with national politics and like rage tweeting about Ted Cruz or whatever, whatever the hell is happening or at Congress. And like, maybe you'd, maybe you'd be much better off if you tried to like get involved with school board or city council or local politics, uh, you know, go out into the real world. Yeah, I mean, I think political hobbying is really appealing to a particular demographic, especially like an educated demographic and a white demographic, because you feel like by tracking the issues, you are making change. And the reality is that the skills that it takes to pay attention to what's going on at the national level versus the skills that it takes to engage in politics in your community and make change are totally different skill sets. And people aren't nourishing the skill sets that allow them to figure out like what's going on in their community and and how to make change. Yeah. That's why I started Wedge Live. I mean, everyone in the world has an opinion about Ted Cruz, but uh, how many people have an opinion about Michael Rainville, for example? Like that makes me special. I have an opinion about Michael Rainville. Or Carol Becker. And Carol Becker. I can tell you all about that. (laughs) That's my superpower. 
go find something that nobody knows anything about and uh, know a lot about it. Get involved in local politics. Mm-hmm. You can uh, have some power to make change. That's the message I'm taking from that, Alyssa. Is that is that the right message I should be taking from that? I think that's a great message to take. I would also be curious what Jason is thinking about as far as either top books of 2021 or other major uh, insights into 2021. Or, or movies. Movies. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's see. So I uh, uh, the most recent book that I finished reading is called Bike Lanes Are White Lanes by Melody Hoffman. Oh. Tell me uh, why I shouldn't be offended by that. Because I'm white, and I occasionally ride a bike in a lane. Shut up. <laughs> I, I hope you are offended by it. Uh, <laughs> that's my whole purpose of being here tonight, is to offend you. Um, uh, but it's, you know, it's a good viewpoint of how kind of like to tie it into what Alyssa was saying, um, people who maybe are just sort of interested in an issue on the surface can sort of impact the the processes that then move on to affect a lot of people who do have much more involvement. Um, you know, how the discussion around white or around bike lanes tend to be led by white middle-class people um, whereas the the um, the way that they're implemented tends to have a lot of effect on people of color, um, people of lower economic status, and things like that. Um, and you know, it's important to give our our politics some grounding in understanding how these issues affect people outside of our own experience. You can say the same thing about housing. There's a lot of stuff where people on both sides of the issue are white and have the time to show up at a meeting and voice an opinion and write a bunch of emails. Right. Goes for transportation. Advocates for bike lanes will be largely white, but also the opponents of bike lanes will largely be, uh, you know, well-off white people. Same with housing. Advocates for housing will often be uh, white people with the time for activism, and the opponents will be white people who can show up to a bunch of meetings and yell about it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've, that was the most recent book that I finished reading. Um, and I'm currently reading a book called Rust Belt Femme by Rachel Angel Lee, um, which is a memoir about. Um, growing up in uh, northeastern Ohio and sort of growing, like going to college um, and moving into adulthood in Minneapolis and things like that. So um, it's been really interesting so far. I'm only about halfway through, but I would recommend both of those books. I got uh, some recommendations from Alyssa a while ago. And uh, my own personal Amazon, like you you might like, that's what Alyssa did for me. And uh, let's say you relate to me a lot. You watch, you listen to the podcast and you relate to me as a person. You think you're a lot like me. Maybe you'll like these books that Alyssa recommended for me. A Memory Called Empire and How Rory Thorne Destroyed the Multiverse. 
Do you want to say anything about those recommendations, Alyssa? Yes, but I also don't want to rant about books for like another five minutes. They're it's very true, good. It's true. They're, it's dragging. They're good books. <laughs> and you should read them. <laughs> They're good books. You should read them. Uh, a Memory Called Empire, I think, won a Hugo Award, which is like in the world of sci-fi fantasy books is a major award. Um, and Rory Thorne Destroys the Multiverse is funny. Um, and there are very few sci-fi fantasy books that are that like really lean into humor in the way that that book does. They're very good. Do you have, do you have another thought on your list, a thought or reflection on your list? I don't know. So I've, I've been thinking a lot about this concept, right? As a person who is new to local politics or political organizing and this idea of making politics accessible to people alongside, you know, my view as someone who is a relative newcomer and seeing like a lot of people that I think are really awesome experiencing a lot of burnout right now. Mm -hmm. You're talking about me. I think when you said a person who is awesome, who is (laughs) suffering from burnout, I think you're referring specifically to me. Uh, I mean, you and also like, 30 other people I know, right? Like people are feeling super burned out. We have state level elections coming in 2022. We have local elections again coming the year after that. City Council 23. We're already starting up those campaigns for 23 city council. Let's, let's turn out Michael Rainville. RIP. Um, and <laughs> I don't, so I'm just like, I would love to hear what other folks are thinking about in terms of that tension, right? Between like excitement, wanting to do things I think a lot of people who get involved in politics do that, both of you included, because you're like, I have something to contribute, right? Like I, I can, I can do things. I'm a person who can do things and figuring out, you know, it feels like on the, on the left, loosely speaking, we haven't figured out that balance between what can I do and what can I offer and how much of my time and energy should be spent towards bringing in new people, right? So that we don't all burn out so that we're doing and like bringing in new people is a very loose frame. Cause there's a lot of like, how are we movement building within people who are aligned with us politically? How are we moving people who are not aligned with us politically, but like thinking about the steps that it takes to shift them and being bridge builders. And a lot of that being influenced by your particular, like, um, what is the right word? Uh, oh, I'm like blanking on a word as an English major. I'm so embarrassed. Um, <laughs> but you're like location, right? Within different systems of power, right? Like the amount of work that I'm going to do as someone who moves people might be different as a white person because like I have access to networks of white people who are more likely to be politically conservative and or upholding the status quo in some way. Um, I don't know. So I'm just like, that is a thing I'm reflecting a lot on is like, I've only been involved in this a year and I'm not burned out. But like a lot of people who have been involved in this for more than a year are feeling very, very burned out at this moment. And I would love to hear your thoughts on any and all of that. I don't know. I don't have a clear question there, but it looks like Jason wants to say something maybe. Um. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I've been, at least a a political hobbyist to use your term um since i was like 10 years old um and you know kind of progressed from the um 
following the the national like the presidential races and things like that or um even you know like the senate races in wisconsin and things like that when i was growing up to in my college years getting much more active and being involved with specific causes or specific like pushing for specific policies and things like that um and i think you know, it's very easy to get into a mindset of I'm always pushing up the hill. There's never any, um, I'm never reaching the goal because there's always more work to be done. Um, and I, over the years, I've learned it's very important to celebrate the things that you do succeed. Um, you know, the there was a lot of, angst and depression around the results of the elections justifiably so this year in minneapolis um you know it was it felt like a lot of us got punched in the teeth with uh losing on question two and question one um but at the same time we won question three which was big um that was you know the option to explore rent control was very popular um the three democratic socialist candidates who ran for city council all won. Um, to me, that was something that really buoyed my spirits. Um, can I bring so you I think, down? Can I bring you down for a moment? You can try Michael Rainville. How about yeah. that? Yeah. Th- there were a lot of things that didn't go the way that I would have preferred. They, they went, um, there's always going to be more work to be done. Um, and, but if you don't take some time to celebrate the things that did go the way you want or to feel joy about the positive things, you're just going to keep burning yourself out. Um, you know, mm-hmm. in another couple of years, you know, maybe people will be watching this podcast and being like, isn't John supposed to be like, 15 years younger than jason why does he look so much older (laughs) uh yeah i was a political newcomer once much like Alyssa, and uh 2017 was like my first uh paying attention to local politics election in minneapolis and i felt very burned out after that one i was doing wedge live uh but it was a it was a good result in 2017 but I still, I felt extremely burned out from it. And in the wake of that, I got involved and uh, helped start Neighbors for More Neighbors. It was uh, the beginning of the advocacy for the Minneapolis 2040 plan. And now Neighbors for More Neighbors is like, uh, there's a lot of people volunteering for it, doing good work. The 2040 plan passed. And so I can relate to the idea, like, celebrate celebrate your victories. I feel like a lot of good things happened in the last term that will continue to pay dividends. And currently, you know, I've, I'm feeling a lot of passion for Hennepin Avenue because I live in the wedge and the stretch of Hennepin Avenue that's going to be reconstructed that we've just had that recommended plan, the recommended design for goes through my neighborhood. And so I'm paying a lot of attention to that. And if we can win on that, I'll feel good about that. There's going to be a lot of little things, little issues for people to focus on that aren't campaigns. 
that will make concrete real differences in people's lives that I think we can focus on and not like the results of elections are, I mean, they, they matter a lot, but it's not, it's not the result that we're seeking. The result is like policy changes and, uh, you know, things like street reconstructions, for example. Not that that's the top of mind for other people, but it is for me. But those are my thoughts. Yeah, I think that's really important to uh, to understand that, you know, the elections aren't the end of any of this. That there's, you know, there, like I said, there's always going to be more work to be done. But, you know, there are what we're doing now is just is continuing to lay more groundwork for things to move forward in the future. And it's also a great way to make friends. I have made so many friends in Minneapolis getting involved in uh, politics, local politics. I know a lot of amazing people now. Uh, Alyssa, you included, and Jason too. <laughs> I, I feel like I, I've gotten to know you both just this year. Yeah, I think that's, uh, you know, definitely in my my personal um, highlights from 2021. Uh, I would say joining the Wedge Live community, um, helping initiate the process to get this fine podcast going. Yeah, it wouldn't be here um, without you. Yeah, I mean, and... You know, that's right up there with the discovery of the meat jacker. So there, there is something, I don't know, it doesn't have to be exhausting. It can be life affirming. It can produce, uh, it can make you, politics can make you happier. It brings uh, wonderful people into your life. There's a lot of good things about Minneapolis still. And it's the people you get to know. And I'm constantly meeting new, wonderful people who are, uh, you know, amazing and doing amazing things. Yeah. Jason is for sure the coolest person on this podcast right now. I'm, oh, that's I'm not sorry. true. That's not. It true. is absolutely true. It is. That, that, I, <laughs> that's not true. I was gonna say that you were the coolest person on this nope. podcast. I was nope. gonna say I was the coolest person on the podcast. I know you were, John. No, but no it's definitely <laughs> Jason. We can, we no. can all agree that it's not John. I mean, maybe if we go back and look at the uh, what are those '90s era photos of Jason in a tank top? Oh. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, yeah. no one looked good in the 90s, except for Britney Spears. We should and just... Jason. And Jason in yeah. their, their tank top. John, John is very jealous of of that picture. I can tell by the number of times that he, he views it <laughs> and continues to bring it up. So you're, you're tracking my IP. Yeah. Okay. Have, yeah. We, have we hit the end of uh, Alyssa's list of thoughts and reflections? <laughs> No, well, so I ha one of my thoughts and reflections is actually very related to this idea of like, how do we make the left uh, welcoming and and like joyful political home for people? Is it not? It's not. D you don't seem very joyful off very often, John. Me? We have a good time here <laughs> on the podcast. I, I'm pretty joyful. Although I don't, I don't podcast episode by saying that you were like feeling really down and terrible about everything. It's true. Not exactly I, in those words, but I do it in a joyful way. I think one of the, 
I think one of the good one of the things that attracts people to Wedge Live is uh, the the lightness of it, at least historically. And I, I hope I'm not losing that. I try. I I understand that my mood has turned sour, and I hope I'm not uh, foisting that on other people. That wouldn't be good because I think it's one of the good things about Wedge Live. But anyway. How do we make the left a, a welcoming and joyful place? Is that what the question was? Yeah, right. Like people yeah. in their free time mostly do not want to do things that feel like work, that feel like a big downer, right? There are many people who have some amount of exception to that rule, but I think <laughs> there is like real movement work to be done around thinking about, like Jason said, right? How do we celebrate our successes? And also how do we like make the vision that we're fighting for and the communities that we have a place that like people want to be a part of and are excited to be a part of and are not like, Oh, I want to, I have to go to this meeting and like, everybody's going to be complaining and down and feeling bad about how like the state right. of how things are. I think that's well, a real question. The most amazing thing I participated in this year was activism and it, it was uh, that ride on Hennepin Avenue. Do we remember mm-hmm. that? Yeah. That was, that was amazing. It's a monthly event, isn't it? Well, it the is first, now. Yeah. Well, I just did, I guess I did too. But the first one, it was like, I don't know how many people. It felt like 100 or more people. at least 100, yeah. 100 riding on Hennepin Avenue, it was glorious. I mean, that that uh, that that was super fun. And that was activism. That, was make, that made a difference. That was very visual. Stuff like that. Make it a party. Don't have an agenda all the time for your meetings. Just uh, get to pe- get together with people who are like-minded and have fun. That's how you do it. And let Alyssa worry about the, the details. Alyssa, you're the kind of person who, who does the work while everyone else is having fun, thinking they're making a difference. <laughs> you know, if, if, if no. that is my role in movement organizing, I'm happy to take it. I'm very good at logistics and detail. So. I think you just, you just described a scenario in which Alyssa is using everyone else as pawns to make oh, no. actual progress. <laughs> All I know is I had such a good time at that ride. I think it made a difference and uh, it was so much fun. Yeah. And there, there were also wonderful things like wedge fest wedge fest. That was where, great too. you know, many, many people came out uh, on a rainy afternoon and yeah. talked to local politicians and drank root beer and had a good time yeah. getting to know one another. A lot of Twitter people meeting each other in physical space for the first time. Um, I think those are the sorts of things that really do go a long way toward keeping people engaged and helping them feel closer to their community um, and not just focusing on negative things like being able to go and joke around and laugh and, you know, meet other people who have the same values or at least similar values. Um, and I'll have a good laugh at David Wheeler's expense. Yeah. When I think back to wedge fest, I think about how so many candidates showed up and they all lost. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. Uh, people are going to should... be talking about the wedge fest curse. Okay, Elliot Payne. He won big win. Aisha Chugtai won. Aisha, Aisha won. Jason Chavez won. Jason Chavez won. Yes. Okay. It's not the wedge curse. It's the wedge uh, blessing. 
Yeah. And that's another thing is, you know, being involved in local politics does give you, especially in Minneapolis, it's very unique here, that you do have an opportunity to meet the people who are representing you in government. Um, It's not difficult to have a conversation um, unless unless you're trying to have a conversation with Jacob Fry and you've annoyed him, then then it can be very difficult. Well, you um, him. You, you're mean to him. Why would he want? He did have that phone conversation with you, though. Didn't you have like an hour long phone conversation yeah. with him once that you tweeted after the fact? Yeah, that was before I annoyed him. Um, once it's I annoyed him, then he blocked me on uh, on text messages and <clears> things like that. Um, but. Over the past year, you know, I got to go out and meet um, Jason Chavez and Aisha and Robin Wansley Warlabaugh, um, who are all very intelligent and thoughtful and empathetic people, but they're also people who are like excited and happy and have joy to be like pushing policy forward um and that's that's really exciting it's not you know a lot of places you think about oh i'm going to talk to a city council person or something like that and you you imagine it being like this very stuffy uptight white person like michael rainville and Mm -hmm. then you get to meet people who aren't like that and it really flips it on its head and makes you feel positive about the way things can go yeah they they are real people. They are your neighbors. Uh, think about that when you're writing a mean email to Michael Rainville. Be be respectful even to Michael Rainville is what I have to say. These are real people. Most civility, civility, Jason. You'd still be having phone conversations with the mayor if you'd tried some civility. Only white people talk about civility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, now i'm being tone policed for old tweet old tweets by john edwards of all people yeah but of all people people think that i'm this firebrand i'm the nicest person in minneapolis i'm not you say a lot of uh of things that are at other people's expense it's true but i do it in a in a clever way so it's subtle Okay. It, feel, it feels mean because it's just it's so correct. I'm I'm dialing in like a laser. Are so lasers I, dialed? Is that uh, yeah. is that what you're saying? <clears throat> you dial you dial it in. You dial in your laser. And uh, anyway, my tweets are so correct that they feel mean. People feel seen. They feel like the the worst part of themselves have been seen. Uh, okay, let's move on. <laughs> uh have you heard about the 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 grocery incident somebody ran over some groceries oh yeah uh, what city was that was it blaine i believe blaine yeah uh so an instacart driver allegedly i have to say allegedly because i'm not sure i trust that the story is true I don't want to doubt people who say they've had their groceries run over, but uh, a, a couple with like a, a pro police sign in their yard uh, uh, says that the Instacart driver wrote wrote a note 
it was like Instacart doesn't pay very well and I hate the police or F the police, something like that. And it's like it's become the the biggest story on the local news. It's like designed to go viral police. And uh I think the person has been charged. I could not believe although not with a hate crime. <clears throat> not with a hate crime. Apparently police are not a protected class. Uh, it, it feels like the kind of thing like a, a wait staff at a restaurant will be like having a bad day and just like maybe throw a plate on the ground and walk out and then the owner refund because Instacart refunded the money. There was no harm to these people at all. They just allegedly had their groceries run over and the money refunded and then they started to go fund me and have raised thousands of dollars on that. This is a victimless crime. Somebody had a bad day at work. and said some things on a receipt i don't know does anyone else have thoughts on this <laughs> i mean i the it seems like the instacart driver was upset because the order got canceled was after that, they that had true? already already um started the process of delivering the order oh, so um, it wasn't even their groceries ma- well, I, I believe it wasn't. It was their groceries, but the person basically just dropped them out of their car and wrote a note about how um, they were losing money on this. Um, yeah, because their order had been canceled, so they weren't going to get any money from Instacart, and they had driven all the way there, and um, something to the effect of they were being treated like a servant or something like that. Yes. And um, it's questionable as to whether or not they intentionally ran over the groceries if they were indeed ran over. I know I've seen some I don't even some care. analysis of the image that says like there are very fragile things in these bags that aren't broken. So if mm-hmm. they were run over, how would they have survived that? Right. Um, but yeah, it's the sort of thing that um, you can pair up with that mm-hmm. person's pro police sign and really make some conservatives jump on board and give money like they're trying to self fund the wall in Texas. This is a person who had a bad day of work and caused no harm other than like writing some mean things on a receipt and somebody had their groceries ruined and the money refunded. This is like an employer employee issue. Person's having a bad time at work rightfully so. And so, and their name is in the news. Their name has been published in local news stories, which means they're going to get a lot of vitriol thrown their way. I just, I don't know. I don't think this should have been a story. I don't think the person should be prosecuted. Nobody should be printing the person's name in the news. Let them have a bad day at work and leave their job. There was no harm here. Yeah, I would agree. Um, And, you know, I think that's why it's important that when we, especially when we look at jobs like Instacart or DoorDash or things like that, that, you know, we recognize the the labor that people put into making our lives, in some cases, just making our lives easier and many cases making our lives safer during the pandemic. people who are legitimately putting themselves at risk to try to make money to get through this time. 
um, and are often not treated well by their employers at all. Um, they're underpaid and, you know, because of their classification as contract workers and things like that, they're often denied the ability to form a union or push for better benefits or things like that. Um, and yeah, I think that it's a, a symptom of what it's like to live under a capitalist society in a time of really great stress and uncertainty. Alyssa, do you want to weigh in on the groceries getting run over? Nope. Jason has said everything that is important. Okay. Uh, Does anyone have a naughty or a nice list? I feel like we are missing an opportunity to do that. Jason, I know Mayor Fry is always on your naughty list. Yeah. Um, if I if I were to come up with a list, would you like put their pictures up on the YouTube version of this? And if like if we talk about it that way and... while I'm while I'm editing, <laughs> I will hear you say that and I will probably do it if you make a big enough deal about it. Maybe you could do like fingers, pew pew. Like... <laughs> <laughs> um well I think, you know, Topping my personal naughty list would have to be Mickey Moore. Um, you know, he basically ran a sham campaign, a champagne, mm-hmm. if you will, um, to try to represent a part of the city that he doesn't live in. Um, and, you know, he just did a lot of unethical things to try to accomplish that. Fortunately, he lost to someone who would go on my nice list, uh, Jason Chavez. Okay. Um, I would say another. And programming note, neck the, uh, the, like we're doing a new year's spectacular. That's already been recorded. The entire episode is about (laughs) Mickey Moore for some reason. It's embarrassing. And so I decided to make it like the new year's episode. So that as few people listen or watch as possible, (laughs) an entire episode about Mickey Moore, how, how, why, but go on. Um, um, let's see another person who would go on my naughty list would be Tom Hoke for funding so many terrible candidates over the course of 2021, um, really pushing through his slate of candidates to try to blunt any sort of progressive momentum that was gained in 2017. Um, Another person who would be on my nice list I would say, um, and this sort of, you know, is a, a sad thing, but uh, Philippe Cunningham, who has done a lot of work in the city um, for very little um, recognition of a lot of that work, um, received a lot more harassment and negative um, attacks than he des- ever deserved. Um, and probably never got the recognition that he he deserved for being a a good voice of progressivism on the city council. Yeah. A lot of the things that uh, may yet 
still bear fruit, like the Office of Violence Prevention and the uh, behavioral crisis response teams that just rolled out, uh, Philippe had yeah. a ton to do with that. Yeah. So, um, also on the naughty list would be Sheriff Dave Hutchinson. Right. Um, yeah, you know. we, we didn't talk about the sheriff uh, rolling over his police car. Uh, yeah. While driving drunk. Um, yeah. He had you know. there. And yeah. I, I'm going to, it in full disclosure, um, in my youth, I was definitely a problem drinker. Uh, when I was in college, I also had a driving under the influence uh, ticket that I received. Um, I lost my driver's license for a while and things like that. Um, but I, you know, I was able to learn from that and make some better decisions with my life going forward. I hope that Hutch makes some of those same realizations and can move forward. Um, but I think that it should cast some doubts on, you know, why a, an elected official who is in their, the middle ages of their life is making decisions like a 21 year old college student might. Um, so yeah, I think that that really has to put Hutch on the naughty list. Um, let's see on the nice list. I would like to give credit to all of the people involved with the, uh, the wedge live podcast over the last year, all of the co-hosts who have, done their best to wrangle John's thoughts and keep them something <laughs> coherent and understandable for the general public. Mm -hmm. um, I think that it, the podcast has been a really great addition to the Minneapolis political discourse. Um, I think that there are a lot of people who have had very positive reviews of it and have felt really good about being able to learn more and understand more um, because of all the efforts of John and the co-hosts and guests and everyone else. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of amazed when people reach out and say how much they enjoyed it. Like not a ton of people are listening, but I think people who do listen are getting some value from it. It's yeah. what keeps me going is the nice comments. So if, if you're enjoying the podcast, send me more nice comments. I'm sorry we haven't had an episode in a while, but uh, we're, we're going to come back strong in 22 with uh, Hennepin County attorney race uh, stuff. Uh, Hennepin County board is also on the ballot, the sheriff's race. So there's yeah. stuff to talk about. Maybe Rondo's going to run for sheriff. Who knows? Maybe. what What's the deal with the... Alyssa, do you have any insight into the the outgoing police chief giving a talk to a granite and quartz uh, <laughs> countertop company owned by a man <laughs> who throws fundraisers for Donald Trump? That was weird. Give us I have no, in, no insight into that. Zero, zero insight it's into bizarre. that. Um. But while we are on the topic of people running in 2022, I think like one of the things I'm really interested in is figuring out how we support different people running. You know, like what do you what do you mean? Different you know, people. To, 
I mean, to, to Jason's point, right? Like a lot of the people who won this past cycle were leftists who like maybe four or five years ago, people would have been like, no, democratic socialists like can't win things in Minneapolis. And that's not totally true. Cause we, for a long time had Cam Gordon, who was an independent who won in Minneapolis for a really long time. But yeah, I just like, I am interested in this question of like both, not only how do we support really good races, but how do people who are like doing the work and thinking about things show up to run for office and, and how do we support them in building the networks that allow them to do that? It's a terrible time to run for office. I, I'm amazed that anyone <laughs> is willing to do it. Uh, a lot of credit to anyone who ran for office in uh, 21 for city council, except for Michael Rainville. And Becca Thompson. And Becca Thompson too. It's, and Mickey Moore. It's, and Mickey Moore. It's not a good, it's not, it's not a good environment to run for all. You're going to get a lot of hate no matter which side you're running from in local politics. It, so in other words, Alyssa, don't don't run for office is what I, I'm saying. I am not going to run for office. I am not suitable. No, I mean, in, in general, anyone, anyone <laughs> listening, to it, don't run. Don't do it. I, I would first like to disagree with Alyssa that uh, they're not suitable to run for office. Uh, I would love to see Alyssa in any number of offices around the city. Um, you, you'd be good, Alyssa. You should run for office. If no, you can take thanks for saying that. Thank, thank you. I will take the compliment, and also, I, I would love to support other people for running, running for office as I you, have this year. You have a reassuring presence. It's true. You're, You're very wise. You have a, lead, a leaderly temperament. I want to follow you. <laughs> that's why. That's why I, I want you. I want. I want you <laughs> by my side to keep me safe. In other words, during the time of uncertainty and rising violent crime rates, I want Alyssa by my side. Oh, I can't. Now we've like pivoted from what was a compliment to like, is this a compliment anymore? (laughs) 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 So if you were going to run for office, what would you run for? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) you know what i will say is i would seriously consider running for office if jason will consider running for office we will we will have a joint conversation about that someday how's that oh okay so some sort of uh when we have our our wedge live co-host summit we will uh we'll discuss all of these the potential offices that we'll all run for Mm -hmm. we'll have a wedge live faction of the city council yeah the, the wedge well, live yeah. caucus yep <laughs> at the final council meeting of the year they spent like and i'm not joking maybe an hour and a half reading out honorary resolutions honoring the outgoing council members because seven of them are leaving so they spent like 15 minutes for each council member just reading off the thing which got me thinking can we spend the last half hour with the both of you reading honorary resolutions to honor me did you prepare Again, this would have been like nice to have some heads up about i would have written an honorary resolution for you but i can't do that on the fly okay well, we won't <laughs> maybe jason that. can we jason? Won't do that. um i mean 
Uh, you've already done it, Jason. I, let's not, let's. This uh, was just. I, uh, I could freestyle just like something condemning John's actions. Maybe. No. Let, um, let's move on. Let's move on. We're almost done here. <laughs> we could move on. <clears throat> so, person of the year, Alyssa, will you participate in a person of the year conversation? Who's your person of the year? Keeping in mind, it doesn't have to be someone good. In in the 1930s, you know, Time Magazine made Hitler their person of the year. It wasn't wasn't because he was a good person. It was because he had uh, he'd made he'd had a lot of influence on uh, world events. That's why they did that. And so, for example, you could choose Michael Rainville as your person of the year. Not, I not will this, not. <laughs> not. Not that I'm comparing Michael Rainville to, uh, you know, genocidal people. I, I'm just saying your person of the year doesn't have to be a good one. Uh, um, I want you to like come back to me, but I also don't want to toss it to Jason without any warning. Oh, Jason, Jason will run through like a top. 10. Jason will run through like a 10 person person of the year list. <laughs> yeah. That's what Jason will do. I'll, I'll set up a 16 person tournament and then run through <laughs> all of um <laughs> could also be a concept i think yeah i mean or it can be just something very vague like minneapolis voters or something yeah um (laughs) yeah (laughs) um my person of the year um i would say in terms of me personally um i would name d.a bullock my person of the year um, because he has just done so much work over the past year um, and had so many conversations, so much um, online presence along with, you know, real life activism and trying to reach out in communities where, you know, Mayor Fry and his rich friends really built a certain narrative. And I think it took a lot of courage and a lot of determination and a lot of integrity to continually stand up and push back against that narrative. Um, and especially to find yourself at odds with people, um, you know, like, um, like Mayor Fry and like Victor Martinez and like, um, Nikima Levy Armstrong and things like that, where, you know, staying true to his values and pointing out lies that were coming out and misrepresentations, especially of the black community in North Minneapolis. Um, that's a whole level of courage and fortitude that is beyond me. Um, I, I can't conceive of what that's like to put yourself out there and be in that position as a black man living in North Minneapolis. So I would give my person of the year award to DA Bullock. And we should say uh, DA Bullock is a, a filmmaker an activist uh, with reclaim the block and you can find him doing tweets very often at bully creative, I believe. Yeah. Alyssa, have you had enough time to come up with your person of the year? Not really, and also Jason did a much better job of answering this question than I could possibly. Um, 
Could be a concept. Could also be Michael Rainville. I mean, like, I I mean, part of me really wants to just name, like, the pizza and geek love as person of the year. <laughs> what? what? The, the pizza of the year? <laughs> the pizza of the year, yes. So Geek Love Cafe is the, like, pizza cafe within Moon Palace Books, which oh. um, is directly adjacent to... Uh, the former site of the Minneapolis Third Precinct. Um, They held a special place in my heart before the uprising in 2020. And then also during it, when like the uh, the owners, there were, there was like a situation where like MPD was trying to like stage stuff to against the protesters uh, on the Moon Palace property. And the owners were like there all night, every night to prevent the building from being burned down and to prevent MPD from like using their property to stage things. Um, they still have all their big wooden boards on the building that say abolish the police. Um, and it is my happy place. And I feel like moon, I don't know, moon palace books, their pizza thing person of the year, 2020 into 2021 for me. (laughs) I I reject that answer. That's not an answer to the question. You can't say you can't give your pizza recommendations for a person of the year. You gave your movie recommendations for a book of the year. <laughs> no. You said concepts were allowable. <laughs> Pizza's not a concept. It's a food. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's also a concept. Have you not seen that like grid of things that are a sandwich? And like on one, uh, pizza's on the grid. It's fine. <laughs> uh, no, I, I still need a person, person of the year. Mm. Uh, how about this? I'll give my runner up and then you can, oh, uh, Jason, you're going to make Jason go through it a whole gonna... long list. <laughs> I mean, Jason has more, in, again, Jason is the coolest person on this podcast right now. Jason, share your runner up. I love it. Uh, I, for my runner up, I will name, uh, at Taylor T A Y L R, uh, which is no longer a functioning Twitter account. Um, due to some nefarious behavior on the part of Alex Min and Twitter support. Um, Taylor lost their Twitter hood um, for posting materials that were deemed uh, private, even though they were uh, screenshots of public events around a public election. We should say what it was. It was like a fry meet and greet yep. is that what it was yes um it was a jacob fry meet and greet that was initially announced as being a joint event with victor martinez um and since it included someone's address as part of the um facebook post which was also public um it was deemed to be revealing private information and cost uh, Taylor Deline, uh her Twitter account, um, someone who had done a lot of really good work around um, the elections in Minneapolis over the past year, finding out a lot of information about candidates, a lot about Mickey Moore, um, and you know somebody who had continued to do really good work. Um, in terms of researching issues and researching people who were funding certain candidates, um, you know, people who were pushing a lot of money toward the ballot questions and things like that. 
Um, so if John, if you could put up the image of the uh, the duck holding a knife while mm-hmm. while I'm talking about this, that would be perfect. Is um, accessible, or did Twitter like wipe Taylor's existence completely off the internet? I still I can't believe that Taylor uh, has just had her account uh, taken away permanently. Like, and she tried to create a different account. Uh, Twitter got on her for that too. So she's like a non-entity on Twitter basically just forever a forever ban right yeah um permanently suspended um and i think you know that that in addition to taylor being a person um the twitter account of at taylor um representing people getting involved in local politics and doing some due diligence that the traditional media wasn't doing at the time um is also a, a worthy concept for a person of the year um, because so many people, especially in the Twin Cities, have had so much dissatisfaction with traditional media and having to kind of move to alternative media sources to find and publish their their news. Okay, I'll, I'll go next. My uh, person of the year is Michael Rainville. You may have seen that I, I carved... It. i carved michael rainville into a pumpkin no one noticed no one cared at all i i did a beautiful job carving him to into a pumpkin he was my pumpkin of the year and so of course he would be the person of the year and this is not this is not an honor for michael rainville i'm just saying this is the year we've seen uh, a return to power of the rainville family he's he's the cousin of barb johnson who was council president uh, and uh, that family represented Ward 4 on the city council for something like 50 years. Incredible amount of time. And also the the Hofstede family in Ward 11 with Emily Kosky winning there. So Michael Rainville for me represents just a, a return to power of old, old political families in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, a, a shift away somewhat from uh progressive values at least in those wards and i think it's significant we're going to be struggling with it over the next two years at least not a not a good thing i think it's a bad thing yeah and and i'm done Alyssa, who's your person of the year going back to you yeah i'm gonna go with angela conley actually I feel like it was not an election year for Angela Conley and Angela Conley has like very consistently showed up for all of the things that we care about. Even in this year where like no one was paying any attention to Angela Conley because she wasn't up for election. Um, And so as I think about who I appreciate from this year is like Angela Conley Aisha Gomez, people who were, you know, continuing to do the work for all of us, even though we had no time or attention to pay to any of them in 2021. So, um, yeah, excited to support Conley in 2022. I, I think I had a, a an idea for the last thing to do here today, but I, I don't, it's slipping my mind. I think we might have to end the show without me doing the thing I wanted to do. I should keep better notes. That's what I should do. Maybe that can be your uh, your New Year's resolution. New Year's resolutions. Does anyone have quick New Year's resolutions? Alyssa. 
You're on the spot. What, what are you trying to change in 21 about yourself? What do you hate about yourself that you're trying to get rid of? <laughs> Again, this is why people might think you are a negative person, John. I just want to put that out there. Uh, no, in 2022, um, I think I'm going to focus on resting more and focusing more on bringing bringing along other people instead of doing everything myself. So Jason. Um, in 2022, I want to spend more time physically out of doors in my neighborhood, um, being around my neighbors, talking to people, um, walking my dog, who's kind of a jerk, but you know, it's pretty cute. Um, but just, yeah, just getting to know more people in the neighborhood. Um, I think those are the sorts of things that make people feel comfortable where they live. Um, and I think that's something that I can do to sort of help on a, on some level address the, the rising tension and apprehension that people have about Minneapolis being so dangerous and scary because of social media It's trying to counteract some of that in physical space. We should say uh, that's the Wedge neighborhood. If you want to see, I see Jason walking around the Wedge all the time. Yeah. I want to meet Jason's dog. Yeah. It's the place yeah. to be. <clears throat> A lot of people are moving to the Wedge. I think my resolution is uh, I'm going to try to be more positive and try to look on the bright side. I'm going to try to do a better job with this podcast. I feel like it's 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 dragging. It's been dragging a little towards the end of the year. Well, here I am being negative about the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to try harder, just in general. <laughs> I'm going to be positive on my podcast. Yeah. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it would be difficult to try less hard, John. So, yeah, is that is that 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 was an insult, right? <laughs> We're 90 minutes into that. (laughs) Okay. Final thoughts. Anyone, have we missed any end of the year thoughts and reflections that are important for people to hear? I think we should have a party. That is my only reflection from 2021. We should have a party. We all tried real hard. An end of the year party, you mean? Or a beginning of the year party. I would come to your party. You throw good parties, Alyssa. I, I enjoy it. You want to give a recipe? I enjoyed that uh, little uh, crockpot thing you had going on <laughs> in your backyard. Is this a recipe for soup or a recipe for a party? <laughs> uh, a recipe for the soup. It was good. Uh, don't give the recipe. Just contact Alyssa uh, Shuffman on Twitter. Yep, it's my Twitter. Yep. Ask for the soup recipe. It's pretty good. <laughs> we should have a party. I'll, I'll come to the party, Jason. Um, no, I... I think that Alyssa's idea is great. We should have some sort of uh, winter solstice um, celebration of making it through year two of COVID, making it through another election year in the middle of so many election years. Um, and the fact that we're still here, that's worth celebrating. Okay, well, I'm going to commit both of you to this party idea by making it official here at the end. All listeners are invited to the party. Check Wedge Live on Twitter for the official details. This party is definitely happening. You can meet <laughs> co-hosts such as Jason Garcia and Alyssa Shuffman and me 
your host, John Edwards. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. Neighborhood right now, 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 right now.